And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? Let's call. I met him at the laundry man. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Masked Avenger. Uh, This is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? (laughs) Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Larry Thor stars as Danny Clover, New York detective of Homicide, on Broadway is My Beat from 1949. Then, George Burns and Gracie Allen star in part one of the Burns and Allen show from 1940. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. How are you? What's cooking? Well, we've got a little celebrity gazing here. Uh, Britney Spears is in the news this week. She has uh, a I new adventure. I'm surprised. I mean, she might be too old for you. She's got a new album in the works, and she's got a Las Vegas residency underway. But her newest venture is a mobile game. Uh-huh. Called Britney Spears American Dream. Yeah. So the players create a pop singer character ah. who competes to make it onto the recording industry's A list. Right. Um, so it's for Apple, it's for Android. Right. And the players get to hobnob with managers and agents and put together a band and record fictional hits and the whole nine yards. Very cool. It's time now for a detective adventure of Broadway is my beat. This was set in New York City, although broadcast out of Los Angeles. This episode is called Jane Darwell. It stars Larry Thor from August 11, 1949. Part 1 of Broadway is My Beat. Broadway's My Beat. From Times Square to Columbus Circle. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat. With Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Broadway. It's a journey some people have to make. A journey that ends in a screaming, blinding furnace of light. Or ends in darkness, cool and still. You walk it with a quick puppet strut of slapstick. Or you walk it slow. Slow, like the last walk you'll ever take. Whatever way it is, it's my beat. Broadway is full of people that are like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. One of them, if you put them together right, will turn out to be Jed Stacy, Scandal reporter for a rag that reports scandals. If it's a hot August evening and he's wearing his Hollywood shirt and yellow silk mohair pants, $90 the outfit, he'll buy you a free meal for a price. Chuck, bring us prosciutto with melon, vichyssoise, shrimp poulet, and a decent white wine. You got that? We will show Stacy. Yeah. Okay, Jed. Why the banquet? Ah, you know me, don't you, Danny? I don't give nothing for nothing. I don't get nothing for nothing. Yeah, that's life, like Jock says. Yeah. Look, Danny, I got a note in the mail today, a typewritten note. I want to read it to you. Something you wrote? No, this has class. <laughs> here's what it says. Dear columnist, if you need a prophecy, here's a prophecy. A girl, Jane Darnell, will be found murdered tonight. That's a prophecy. Now, just checking, Danny. You got a corpse named Jane Darnell? No. Give me that note. Give it to me. Sure, sure. Here, Danny, I'm through with it. It'll be in my column tomorrow anyway. It's all set up. Why didn't you give me this before? Ah, uh, you know us scribes, Danny. We clutch things to our bosom. Besides, what good would it do you? But Jane Darnell is going to be killed, how would you stop it? You'd play nursemaid to a murder for a beat, wouldn't you, Jed? You're getting too large, kid. Too large. Take it easy, Danny. First, you got to find the little lady. 
It's a tough thing to do. Even for a guy like you, it's a tough thing. There's a telephone call for you, Monsieur Stacy. No, thanks, Jack. Plug it in here, will you? Uh, oui, Monsieur. Excuse me, Danny. Yeah? Yeah, this is Stacy. Where? Okay. Yeah, you get a fin. Yeah, the same to you. Come on, Danny. We're going someplace? Yeah, to the room of a Jane Dowell. She's asleep in it, Danny. Dead asleep. Just like I prophesy in tomorrow's column. In here, Lieutenant. Right over there on the bed. Yeah, Sergeant, I see. Strangled, huh? With a silk stocking. I'm not a guy who knows about a thing like this, Danny, but it looks like the murder weapon is a pretty inferior piece of merchandise. Buck 98 will get you three pairs. Take your hands off that stocking, Judd. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Danny. Police methods. Uh, I should have known better. Okay, Sergeant, give me the rundown. Uh, call from the landlady at 8.10 p.m. Yeah? Landlady's story as follows. She returned here at 5 after 8, and then she... Where'd she return from? Corner bar. She spent the afternoon there singing Ghost Riders in the Sky and nursing a 10-cent beer for six hours. And they threw her out at eight sharp. Here we check. Go on. Well, the landlady knocked at the door of Jane Darnell, the deceased. Upon receiving no answer, she walked in and found the deceased thus. I mean, like so. Uh, I mean... Uh, okay, okay. Where's the landlady now? I peeked across the hall when we came in, Danny. Yeah. There's a little old lady sitting in a rocker with a compress on a little wrinkled forehead. And a little wrinkled nose on top of a big, big bottle. Landlady, huh? Yeah. Right in here, lady. Come on. Right in this room. Take your hands off of me. I've been walking a long time without your help. Who's this, officer? A man who says he lives here. A man who says his name is... Mac Taylor. What's going on here? Okay, officer, that's all. What's your business here, Mr. Taylor? I live here. Now answer a question for me. What's this all about? Did you know Jane Darnell? (laughs) My Shirley. She takes two hours every Saturday night in the bathroom. And she is the... That's her, over on the bed. What's the matter with her? She's dead. Murdered. Murdered? But who did it? Mr. Taylor, there's millions of people in New York. A little while ago, one of those millions of people came into this room and wrapped a silk stocking around Jane Darnell's neck. The person who did that was the person who murdered her. Do you know who it was, Mr. Taylor? Mr. Taylor didn't. She was just the other rental payer in the boarding house as far as he was concerned. She never even smiled at him, he said. Man, you'd have to be mighty strange to kill a girl for that, he assured me. I assured him he'd better stick around. Then I went home and had indigestion all night from the meal Judge Stacy ordered that I never ate. The next morning, I spent the first two hours mulling over what I had in the murder of Jane Darnell. It came to two things. All I had was a girl in the morgue and a typewritten note saying she'd be there. Or as Sergeant Tartaglia put it... All we got, Danny, is a girl in the morgue and a typewritten note saying she'd be there. Tartaglia, would you mind repeating that? Oh, sure, Danny. I said all we got oh, is never a... Never mind. Anything on that typewritten note Jed Stacy gave me? Kind of typewriter? Stationery? Well, typed on a Corona Portable. A new model. Cheap grade of stationery. Five and ten cent store stuff. Uh, routine check? Turn up anything? No, well, not yet. I can't find a thing on this Jane Darnell. No friends, no relatives, nothing, Danny. Yeah, looks like this will be a tough one for us to crack. It'll take time, Tartaglia, but it'll crack. Danny Clover speaking. What? Who is this? Taglia, trace this call. Yeah. yeah who is this speaking? I, I can't hear you. Speak louder, huh? Yeah, yeah, I got that. When? Who is this speaking? Hello? Hello, hello? What? What? 
Oh, look, operator, I was talking to someone when we were cut off. Huh? I see. Thank you, operator. Tataglio! I'm an efficient cyber. You trace the call? Oh, sure. Well? Well, what? Traced it to a phone booth in Grand Central Station. Oh, fine. That call was important? Tartaglia, I was just speaking to a murderer. Yeah? Well, why did he have this... A murderer? Yeah, a murderer who was disguising his voice. He had to say just this. He had to say he did quite a job on Jane Darnell, and tonight he was going to do a better one on a friend of hers. A friend named Mary Smith. Mary Smith? Hey, I know a Mary Smith. Which Mary Smith, Danny? Which Mary Smith? Tartaglia was right. In a city of eight million, what chance do you have of finding a Mary Smith? If it's the Mary Smith who's going to be struck down by a murderer, the odds are precisely one in eight million. You come up with Mary Smiths, all right. You trace one of them to Sing Sing, where she was doing 20 years for dynamiting a bank. Another Mary Smith left her husband's bed and board in Poughkeepsie. And you talk to a Mary Smith who says... Uh Uh-huh, mister. My name's Mary Smith, and I know a secret. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great... So you try again. Forgive me, sir, for half a cup you're waiting. It wasn't my hour for meditation. Uh, Are you Mary Smith? Yes. Of course I am Mary Smith. In China, my name is Letsu. But since I am in America, I have adopted a name that is 100% American. Uh, Mary Smith. Uh, and do you know a Jane Darnell? No. No. I am sure I do not. Jane Darnell. Oh, Americans have such a strange name. Yeah. Danny! Hey, Danny, hop in. I want to take you someplace where maybe you ought to be. Move your hearse out of the way, Jed. I might scrape the polish with my shabby squad car. Oh, now, Danny, you don't like me anymore. That hurts. I like you. Now, will you move your car? They told me at headquarters you'd be here. Look, if you check with me, I could have saved your wear and tear, Danny. I'll make a note. Always check with Jed Stacy. You'll save your wear and tear. Or maybe I can buy it tomorrow for a nickel. You're fighting me, boy. You're fighting me. Get out of my way. You got nothing to say to me. Nothing I want to hear. You want to hear this, Danny? The Mary Smith you're looking for, I know where she is. Where? If we're still friends, I'll tell you where. Cut it down to a number in a street. Ten, West 16, Danny. A sordid walk-up, a scabrous How do you know so much, paper boy? Anonymous phone call, Danny. Anonymous voice. Voice gives me address and particulars. Particulars? Anonymous girl named Mary Smith. Now we're friends again, huh, Danny? Huh? Miss Smith. Miss Smith. Open up, Miss Smith. It's the police. Maybe you should open it yourself, Clover. Yeah. Miss Smith. The girl named Mary Smith was home. She wasn't anonymous anymore. The scrawl of blood on her clean cotton dress gave her an identity. And the ice pick thrust deep into her throat was like an ugly pin that held her in one place in one time. And death hadn't yet washed away the torture and the strain and the horror that was frozen in the carved lines of her body. The draft from the door I had crashed open moved her hair in gentle whirls away from her face. Then I saw her hand holding something tight, like a claw it held onto it tight. It was a typewritten note. It said, What 
Girl Next Police. What Girl Next? I give you a riddle. There were two that will be three. Who will it be? Who will it be? Broadway all depends on the mood you're in. You can be part of the mob and perform for the sightseers, or you can write notes about murdering women and go about your business of murdering. In the latter case, Broadway dangles from strings. Broadway performs for a madman. It puts on a mask of horror and talks in whispers. Two people had died violently, and the clues I had for their dying were about as valuable as a pinch of dust. Correction, I had a thing of value. Another note. What girl next, the note said. It would be valuable if I knew what girl next. The only ray of sunshine at headquarters next morning was a police sergeant named Tartaglia, who did all sorts of remarkable things with details and file cards and pencil sharpness. Morning, Danny. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Yeah, what have we got, Tartaglia? Well, I checked Judge Stacy, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a pretty good alibi. He was with you at the approximate time of both murders. Only approximate. How long does it take to kill a person? What did you find on that border, Mac Taylor? Oh, he's got an answer for every question we ask him. Right now, we're still checking the answers. So far, Mac Taylor's been telling the truth. Okay, okay. Uh, what's in that envelope? Oh, in this envelope, Danny, intelligence from the FBI. Yeah, with Los Angeles still operating, it's a wonder they had the time. Let's see it. Yeah, sure, here. You know, on account of we didn't have any data on Jane Darnell and Mary Smith, I wired their prints down to Washington like I... Oh, like you should have. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, this data you're holding was wired back. Hey, those boys in Washington sure work. Hey, look at this, Tartaglia. Huh? A link. A link between Jane Darnell and Mary Smith. Washington had their prints because they worked in a war plant. That tells you something, Danny? Maybe. Maybe a lot. They both worked for the same outfit, the Westfold Tool Company. A manufacturing firm across the river in Jersey. Get my hip boots, Tartaglia. I'm going to take a boat ride. What do you want to see me about, mister? I'm Danny Clover, New York Police Department. Oh, glad to know you. I'm Freddie Ney, Punch Press Department. You've been working in this department long, Mr. Ney? Oh, ten years. Why? Try this in your memory. Jane Darnell and Mary Smith. What does that do to you? Jane Darnell, Mary Smith? Uh, J- oh, yeah, yeah, that does something to me, all right. Yeah, they worked here side by side in my department, uh-huh. right through the war and after we converted automobile parts. And what else? Well, they quit about a year ago, within a week of each other. Within a week of each other, huh? How would that figure, Mr. Ney? They were chummy. Jane Darnell and Mary Smith were in a carpool with another girl. All three of them rode to work in Jane's car. This uh, other girl, who was she? I don't know. She wasn't in my department. Does your personnel department keep records of people who ride together in carpools? No, never did. We got all the paperwork we can handle. Yeah. Where's the phone? Right over there. Thanks. Uh, can I get an outside line on this? Sure. I guess that's about all I can tell you about those two, Mr. Clover. Well, maybe it was enough. Hello? Motor vehicles? Any registration? Anything else, Mr. Clover? No, that'll be all. Uh, registration? This is Danny Clover. Want the make and the model of a car owned by Jane Darnell. Uh, yeah, motor number two. 
You're sure there's nothing else, Mr. Clover? I, uh, I enjoy aiding and abetting the police. I said that's all. You can go now. Yeah? Yeah? DeSoto Sedan, 1947. Motor number 137596. Yeah, I got it. Thanks. Get the operator to connect me with Sergeant Tartaglia at headquarters. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Tartaglio? Danny Clover, a, a detailed Tartaglio. A rush job. Fast enough maybe to save a girl's life. Now get this. A DeSoto sedan, 1947. Motor number 137596. Registered in the name of Jane Darnell. Find it, Tartaglia. Find it fast. <laughs> Now all there was, was to wait. Wait while the life of a girl ticked away. A nameless girl in a nameless place. And the girl without the name watched as you waited, her face veiled in the gauze of terror, and her eyes piercing the veil with hatred because all you could do was wait. There were two that will be three, the note said. And three is a number that can add up to death. And a motor has a number that can add up to... And then suddenly the waiting was over. They'd traced the number traced it to a littered, junk-strewn yard presided over by a frightened little man wearing a beret. I do not know why suddenly I am a matter for the police. I, I have done everything as it was told me to. Oh, well, don't worry about it, Mr. Uh... Uh, Stern, David Stern. Yeah. They tell me here in America that there's dignity in dealing with junk, so I deal in it. But with the police... Dignity becomes sour. It'll sweeten up, Mr. Stern. Give us a chance. Oh, I, I, I did not mean that. I, I mean, what I mean is not insult, only an analysis, a philosophical diagnosis. It's too deep for me, Mr. Stern, some other time. Where's the car? Uh, you mean the one that the policeman in the uniform checked its number on its internal anatomy? I mean the one... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one I mean. Eternal anatomy? It's right here to your left. You see? That heap of junk? <laughs> the police are interested perhaps in buying some used parts. The hubcaps are still nice and the carburetor. When was this brought in, Mr. Stern? Oh, just about a year ago. I, I remember because, you see, I remember the personality of machine. Now, this one is the victim of complete nervous shock. Hmm, it looks like it was in a wreck, a, a bad wreck. <laughs> exactly, that's what brought on this psychosis. But in, in good hands, with good treatment, this could recover, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, thanks, Mr. Stern, thanks. Maybe I ought to start going to night school. Ah, uh, you said something? Danny, welcome to Police Transcript and Record. Your presence is like a shaft of light in a warehouse of darkness. Coslo, will you do something for me and not have it come out an epic? This will take much doing. What's your pleasure, Danny? Open a window. How do you guys breathe in here? Sergeant Downs? Yeah, Coslo. Open a window. Danny can't breathe. Ah, that was thrilling how you did that, Sergeant Downs. You may now go back to your typewriter. Anything else, Danny? I could fan you with this fan, courtesy Huxley's mortuary. Oh, thanks. A little closer, Coswell. Ah, fine. Now get me everything you've got on an automobile accident. This car, about a year ago. Sergeant Down? Uh, you get it, Coswell. I'll hold the fan. Your command is like a caress, Danny. Never mind, Downs. I shall get it. Oh, by the way, Danny, there's a gentleman sitting over there. Been waiting for you. 
gentleman by the name of Jed Stacy. Shall I present you? Get the dope on the accident now, as in right now. Yes, sir, Lieutenant. What do you want, Jed? Oh, it's not what I want, Danny. It's what my syndicate wants. You know, columnists, no life of their own. Is that why you're always around when people die? So you can gloat? I didn't hear you say that, Danny. I'll make like I didn't hear it. Now, Danny, my syndicate is curious whether you found out who the number three girl's going to be. I bleed for you and your syndicate. You told me about the other two, Jen. How come you don't have a private line on this one? Danny, I got it all by myself. I Brief got it for it. me, Coslow. Just the words, without the hand. How else? Accident involving this car, May 10th, 1948. Crashed in two by Mrs. Mildred Quimby. Mrs. Quimby was killed. Who was in the DeSoto when it happened? Three girls, Jane Darnell, Mary Smith, and Sally Webb. You got an address on this Sally Webb? Most assuredly. 417th West 55th. We also got pictures of the whole mess. You may have them if you want them, Danny, without signing. Take back your fan, Coslow. You earned it. Sally Webb, eh? That's the girl my syndicate wants. Do they now? Print this, Jed. Print it and I'll tear you apart. So long, Jed. That's part one of Broadway Is My Beat from August 11th, 1949. We'll get back to it after these words. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to Broadway Is My Beat. I don't believe you, Mr. Clover. I don't believe you. Why should anyone want to murder me? We're dealing with a madman, Miss Webb. A madman who makes his own reasons. With me? Why me? I, I never hurt anyone or anything in my life. Maybe Jane Darnell and Mary Smith were like that, but they were killed. I hardly knew them. I just rode with them to work. We had nothing in common outside of that. You had this in common, Miss Webb. You were in an accident in which a woman was killed. So she was killed. Can she rise from the dead to murder me for that? Someone who loved her very much might want to kill you because he holds all of you responsible for her death. Then why don't you catch him, put him in a cage, rip him into shreds, and... Well, do something. Something. Miss Webb, that... that picture on your bureau. Who is it? My boyfriend. Why? How long have you known him? Oh, a few months. You expecting someone? No. Let him in. Let them in, Sally. Hi, Sally. I found this envelope addressed to you in your mailbox. I brought it up. Is it all right? Give it to me, little girl. Huh? Oh, give it to him, Mary, and uh, you better go now. All right, Sally. Sorry I haven't time to be polite, Sally. Mind if I see what's in the envelope? Thanks. Here, read it, Sally. And the third is Sally Webb. At 8 o'clock tonight, it's Sally Webb. Spin, Sally, spin to 8 o'clock, and it's done. The same cheap paper, the same type, the same pattern. Now do you believe it, Sally? Yes. Yes, help me, Mr. Clover. Please help me. If you'll help me. How? Just tell me how. Sally, I want you to spend the rest of the day as you would spend any other day. One of our men will be with you all the time. You'll never see him. You're not to look for him. But I want you back here before 8 o'clock, understand? Before 8 o'clock. Oh, I'm frightened, Mr. Clover. I'm frightened. It's the only way, Sally. You wanted him in a cage? That's where you'll be, just like you said. In a cage. So the trap was set. Sally Webb, the bait. New York Police Department, the hunter. The hunted? Somebody in that jungle city. Somebody crouching now in a dark corner until another time of killing. The man I had tailed Sally Webb called in every half hour. From a dress shop, a fruit store, from a laundromat. 
Places like that. Then about 7 o'clock, the trap began to shape itself. A police cordon thrown around the block on West 55th Street where Sally lived. And a few minutes before 8, I was standing in a doorway next to the address. And the trap was ready to be sprung. How about north and south of 55th Street? They covered? Yes, sir. No one gets through on 8th or 9th. Except the girl. Except the girl, Sergeant. And whoever might be following her. Uh-huh. Uh, how about our boy? The one you assigned to Taylor? He's got orders to drop out at the corner of 9th and 55th. Now, get this, Sergeant. Yeah. I want your men in uniform to stay out of sight. Plain clothes as inconspicuous as possible. No noise. Yes, sir. That's what I told the men. Who's that? What chowderhead was stupid enough to use his siren? That's probably the patrolman for you, sir. He's siren happy. Well, I hope he's going to be happy pounding the cement in flushing. Just came out of the subway entrance. That's her. Sally Webb. What time is it? Just about eight. She's walking awful slow. She's scared. Scared. She's inside. See? The lights just went on. Let's go, Sergeant. Yeah, Miss Webb, it's Danny Cloak. Oh, it's Danny Cloak. Lieutenant. Yeah, she's dead. She's dead, Sergeant. Close your eyes and try real hard to believe it. She's dead. But I don't understand. How the could coroner you... coroner will call it a long, sharp weapon. The coroner's jury can blame me for it. What are you talking about, Lieutenant? The subway. The one place I forgot about. The one place where she'd be with a thousand people and still be alone. She was stabbed on the subway. She had just enough strength to get inside her door. What are you doing, Sergeant? Oh, well, this stuff must have spilled out of her purse when she keeled over. Just junk, though. Lipstick, cigarettes. What's that? The piece of paper you're holding? Nothing, I guess. Just a piece of paper. Oh, wait. Something's typed on it. Huh? Read it. Uh, now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of his country. I love you, I love you, I love you. Let's see that. The letterhead says Ridley's Department Store, furnishings for your every need. Get me a squad car, Sergeant. I got a feeling Ridley's is going to furnish my every need. Interested in a typewriter, mister? Oh, I didn't know you worked here, Mac. Mac Taylor, isn't it? The indignant boarder who lived across the hall from Jane Donnell? Uh, yes, this is my place of business. The typewriter department. Yeah. I've got a time card, employee's number, everything. I sell it. You want to buy one? Uh, some other time. Which corona did you type those murder notes on? Huh? What do you mean? Sally Webb really loved you, didn't she, Mac? I got proof positive of that. She put your picture on her bureau, and she hung around here and wrote love notes on your demonstrator typewriter. So? Tell me something, Mac. When did you change your name from Quimby to Taylor? We've got a doctor in this department store, Clover. Uh, maybe you need to see him. I have a picture of Mildred Quimby, Mac. Was she your wife? What do you know about Mildred Quimby? I said I have her picture, Mac. Here, when she was killed in an automobile accident. Look at it, Mac. Go on, look at it. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Like they killed my wife. Like I killed all of them. I'll kill you. Mac, put away that gun. This place is filled with people. What do I care about people? My wife is dead. What now? Hey, dead man's got a gun. You've been crazy. Watch out. Come on, everybody. Get out of the way. That man's a killer. Come on, get me, Clover. Yeah. 
There's only one way to get you, Mac. Clover, you can't miss. A madman lying in the blood of his death isn't much different from any man who dies in violence. There was a kind of furious serenity on the face of Mac Taylor or Quimby, as though all at the same time he rejected and embraced the peace that a tearing bullet had offered his brain. They took him away, and someone swirled a mop over the blood-stained tile of the floor. That was the requiem for a madman. Broadway is a street of sounds. The hissing sound of the neon, the sweet sound of a girl's laugh, the harsh, rasping sound of the light deep inside the earth, and the other sound, the sigh, the painful sigh no one hears. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes with script by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Musical direction is by Lud Gluskin. Be sure to join us next week, same time, same station for Broadway's My Beat. And that's Broadway Is My Beat from August 11, 1949. With Jane Darwell starring Larry Thor. Cast includes uh, Charles Calvert on that and Gerald Moore, along with Howard McNear. Howard McNear, Lisa, was Floyd the Barber on the Andy, yes, Andy, the Andy Griffith show, yeah. I remember oh, him yeah. well. Sit down, Andy. I'll give you a haircut. He's a great, hair, yeah, great yeah. character. Yes, I will. Howard McNear there, sustaining over CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. All right, it's time now for the Burns and Allen Show, part one of this episode from February 28, 1949, called Government Jobs. Here's George Burns and Gracie Ellen in part one of the Burns and Allen Show. Hello, my friends, the Heinz Honey and Almond Cream Program. Starring George Burns and Gracie Allen with Frank Parker, Ray Noble and his orchestra, and Truman Bradley speaking. And now for those two friendly hands, George Burns and Heinz Honey, Gracie Allen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello, Gracie. Coming down to the studio tonight, I saw a big banner saying vote for Gracie. Yeah, I know. All over town, I see billboards saying put Gracie in the White House. Mm-hmm. It's in the newsreels. It's in the papers. Signs right here on the stage saying send Gracie to Washington. What does this mean? Well, George, I- I- I'll let you in on a secret. I'm running for president. You're, you're running? You're running for president? Yes. Gracie, how long has this been going on? Well, for 150 years. George Washington started it. <laughs> Gracie, why are you running for president? Well, because that's the only way you can get to the White House. You can't just walk in and sit down. The idea is preposterous. Uh, And not only that, but it pays good money. Look, you don't stand a chance. Presidents are born. Well, what do you think I was, hatched? Listen, there's nobody who'd be any happier about your success than I'd be. But in the entire history of the United States, there's never been a woman president. Yeah, isn't that exciting? I'll be the first one. What I tell you that Hello, I... George Hello, Gracie Hello, Hello, Frank I tell you, you haven't got a Chinaman's chance Well, I don't know about that Confucius say Lady who has eye on presidential chair Pretty soon gets seat on it 
And George Burns say, girl who talk nutty Wednesday make good nut Sunday. Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> How do you like that joke, Frank? Egyptian monument. Egyptian monument? Sphinx. It does, huh? <laughs> Gracie, have you any idea what a, what, what a person has to be before they can become president? Sure, elected. <laughs> the whole thing is absurd. Oh, stop worrying, George. I may not even be elected until next November. Well, that's a load off my mind. I might not even be in the White House before 1941. I see. In other words, you're as good as in. I'm better than in. What do you mean you're better than in? Well, if I was in now, I'd have to be getting out next January. <laughs> you, the President of the United States. And Mexico. And Mexico? Well, sure, it's just across the border from California, so it'll be easy for them to vote for me. Hmm. What about Canada? It'll be a landslide. You know, this may be a shock to you, but there are some places that don't belong to the United States. So what? How many votes are there in Glendale anyway? <laughs> for president, it takes a person with tremendous stamina, a person with unusual ability and sound judgment, a mental genius. Oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> the president has to have courage and show plenty of backbone. Show plenty of backbone? Well, you see my new evening dress. Still doesn't make you a leader of men. You have to have plenty of followers. Well, you see my new evening dress. Oh, quiet. The president must have determination. He must let people see what he's made of. Well, you see, see my, my new, new evening dress. dress. I know. I know. <laughs> Say, Gracie, when you're elected president, you ought to change the income tax laws so all stars are allowed the same deductions. Frank, in this country, everybody's allowed the same deductions. Oh, yeah? Look what Sally Rand is allowed to take off each year. <laughs> Oh, I get mixed up on these things. Well, Frank's helping me in my campaign. Then it'll be a tremendous success. Sure. You see, every day I have to go out and kiss a lot of babies. And Frank goes along with me to kiss the mothers. <laughs> yeah. He does, huh? Yes. Oh, yes, boy, and I'm a terrific speaker. Why, I addressed 500 mothers this afternoon. What did you say to them? Get in line there, kiddies. Get in line there. Kiddies? <laughs> that he did. Now, listen to me, Gracie. This thing has got to stop before it goes too far. Say, George, didn't you know that Gracie was running for president? Sure, I knew it. But I didn't think she was serious. Why, certainly she's serious. So are Dewey and Garner. Yeah, but Dewey and Garner have political affiliations. Well, maybe that's because they weren't vaccinated. <laughs> you don't understand. Have you got a Republican or a Democratic machine in back of you? No, that's a bustle. A bustle. Well, I knew it looks good. Glad I asked. Isn't it exciting, George? Isn't what exciting? Well, if Gracie gets in, it'll be the first time that a woman president has ever been elected for a third term. A third term? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, she's done a splendid job. I mean, you show me any other country where you can get a double-decker ice cream cone for a nickel. Ray, I've got a surprise for you. Gracie hasn't done her first and second term yet. You've got her mixed up with Roosevelt. Oh, no, I haven't. Roosevelt lives in the White House in Washington, and Gracie lives in the Yellow House in Beverly Hills. I know. <laughs> Ray, sometime we're going to have you psychoanalyzed. Oh, thanks just the same, George, but I've already taken out my first papers. Well, welcome to our country. <laughs> That's the silliest thing I ever heard Miss of. Miss Allen, hi, me thinking the photographer's ready now to take those campaign pictures. Oh, oh, well, now don't go away, boys. I'll be right back. Now, listen to me, fellas. Stop worrying, George. Gracie's promised to give us all swell government jobs. Government jobs? Sure. Are you sap enough to fall for that, Truman? Sap? Just a minute, George. That's no way to speak to a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> Supreme Court justice? Truman, do you actually believe... Just think, George. I'll be the only ambassador to Great Britain who ever played a violin. <laughs> Gracie told you that she would make you ambassador to Great Britain, huh? Yes. Oh, I had my choice of that or Secretary of the Navy. I see. But you didn't want to be Secretary of the Navy. No, I look so silly in a sailor suit. <laughs> This whole thing is ridiculous. 
What did she promise to make you, Frank? Secretary of the Treasury? Well, she wanted to, George, but I'm too smart to tumble for anything like that. Well, I'm glad that somebody left on this program with some sense. I'm the new Postmaster General. <laughs> Postmaster General? Sure, on account of my experience. What experience have you had? Want to play post office? Oh, go away. Go away. <laughs> Silly man. Oh, boy, boy, where do you see the picture I had taken? I'm not interested in any picture. We're here to do a broadcast. Well, you know, the Democrats have a donkey and the Republicans have an elephant. What have you got, a squirrel? Oh, I wish I'd thought of that. Hmm. But I posed with a kangaroo. Kangaroo? Well, it'll make a wonderful campaign picture. I'll bet. It was a mama kangaroo, and the little baby kangaroo was sticking his head out of the pouch, and it's got... A baby kangaroo sticking his head out of the pouch? Yes, and it's got to be my election slogan. What slogan? It's in the bag. It is, I just sent a telegram to my campaign chairman in the Middle West. Oh, good. He told me he couldn't get any support from the farm belt. So what? So I told him to wear suspenders. What happens if the county seat has two pairs of pants? Oh, George, you're just trying to say, uh, to make me say silly things so people will laugh at me. That's bad, huh? <laughs> say, Gracie, Gracie, what's going to be the name of your party? Well, Truman, you've heard of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party? Yes. Well, mine's going to be the surprise party. <laughs> the what? The surprise party. Surprise, S-U-R-P-R-I-S-E. Yeah, S for screwy, U for useless. Yeah, and R for reading, writing, and arithmetic. P for pinhead. Yeah, and R for uh, oysters are in season. And I, uh, an eye for an eye. A tooth for tooth. And S for some fun, and E for pencil. E, E for pencils? Ever shop? Well, that old uh, pencil on how you look at it. Oh, Say, say, the surprise party's a swell name, I think. How'd you happen to call it that, Gracie? Well... My daddy is a Democrat, and my mother is a Republican. And when I was born, I was a surprise. So was the panic of 1907. Gracie? Yes, Bubble? You know those temporary campaign headquarters we opened on Broadway this morning? Yes. Well, I'm afraid we'll have to move them. Why? There's a streetcar coming. Oh. Gracie, just tell the streetcar, believe it or not, you're waiting to be president. Oh, Gracie, I'm working on your campaign song. You've got a campaign song? Oh, yes. It starts like this. I'll be down to get you with the taxpayers' money. Better be ready by the half past eight. Oh, oh dearie, don't be late. Quiet, quiet. Let's sing a song. What do you say? Oh, by the way, Gracie, uh, you know those pictures in Life magazine of that Republican candidate catching that big mackerel at Miami? Yes. Well, I just found out that he's just caught it again in Lake Michigan. Ray, the whole thing was done to get votes. No, really. What's the fish running for? It's because, it's because it doesn't want to get caught. Miss Fallon, did you see this morning's paper? No, what was in it? My lunch. <laughs> Your lunch? George, this is my publicity man, Gene. How do? Well, I'll run along now, but don't forget, Miss Allen, you're jumping out of that plane in the morning. You're jumping out of a plane in the morning? Only 10,000 feet. It's just to attract attention. You're liable to get killed. Well, sure, but look at all the publicity I'll get. Gracie, will you stop this? Miss before... Allen, I'm a sign painter. Are the slogans ready for your campaign signs? Oh, well, I'll make up a few right now. Bubbles, get a pencil. Okay. Um, number one. Uh, Confucius says, Gracie Allen for prayers. Oh, that's wonderful. I've got it. Uh, number two. Um, Gracie Allen for alderman. Gracie Allen for alderman? Yeah, and alderman for Gracie Allen. <laughs> 
wonderful. Yes, and baking powder for burns. Uh, number three. <laughs> um. Oh, well, it's great. Yes. Thanks. And number three, we'll make one sign with nothing on it. A sign with nothing on it? Sure, to get the nudist vote. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Gracie, why don't you have a doctor examine your head, and if he finds anything, have somebody examine the doctor. Well, that would be a good idea for me, too. Yes, do that. You know, I think this will make an awfully jolly sign, Gracie. If you're 21, vote for Gracie Allen. If you're not 21, have your mother do it for you. If your mother isn't 21, ask your father. If your father isn't 21, then don't bother reading this sign. Oh, I like that. That's good. It's wonderful. Sign painter, get out of here with that's wonderful. All right, Mr. Boynes, but you'll hear from me when I'm attorney general. <laughs> At least, Gracie, if you are elected, I'll get rid of you for four years. Twelve years. Twelve years? For sure, I'm not superstitious about third terms. You're not, huh? <laughs> Do you people realize that right now our sponsor is probably listening? Oh, I say bubbles. I happen to see a drawing of you on the Republican poster. Quite flattering, too. Who drew that? Mr. Noble, that was an elephant. <laughs> it's amazing. What will they teach him to do next? Cheerio. Oh, cheerio. Yeah. And that's the first portion of the Burns and Allen show. George Burns and Gracie Allen going back to February 28, 1940. Government jobs. And uh, the, uh, the announcer on that, Lisa, Truman Bradley. There's a name from the past, Truman Bradley. And that was sponsored by Heinz Honey and Almond Cream. Heinz Honey and Almond Cream. That's uh, as heard on CBS. And we'll listen to part two, the conclusion of the Burns and Allen Show, on our next episode of Hollywood 360. But first, let's take a break. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, now, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to hollywood 360 Radio. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Burns and Allen Show and the CBS Radio Workshop and a good sci-fi adventure. Lisa and I, Mike, and the whole gang will be back. We'll see you next time. Be with us.